Hello, welcome back to Coffee with a Calvinist. This is a daily conversation about scripture, culture, and media from a Reformed perspective. Get your Bible and coffee ready and prepare to engage today's topic. Here's your host, Pastor Keith Foskey. Welcome back to Coffee with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey and I am a Calvinist. Most of you who are regular listeners to the program know that uh, I'm not only the pastor of Sovereign Grace Family Church, but I'm also the professor at Sovereign Grace Academy, which is our seminary that we have at the church. It is what we refer to as a seminary for every believer. And oftentimes I take opportunities on this program to explain some things that I'm not going to have the opportunity to go over in class. Currently I'm teaching through a course on basic biblical doctrines. And so what I want to talk about today is on the subject of baptism. Because while we talk about these subjects in class, we're, and, and some of this may come up, I want to give some of the background to the history of why there are so many different perspectives and views on baptism. And hopefully the students will have an opportunity to listen to this before class, and then we'll have a more robust conversation while we are in class. So let me begin by just simply making a distinction between the two primary modes of baptism that we uh, that we think about, uh, or rather, excuse me, uh, primary uh, baptismal methods. And we would say one is what we would call paedo-baptism, and one is what we call credo-baptism. Now, paedo-baptism is defined as the baptizing of children or infants of believers, and credo-baptism is the belief that only those who have made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ are proper candidates for baptism. And so that distinguishes immediately uh, many churches, and you can know right away if you're talking about a church that practices paedo-baptism or a church that practices credo-baptism, simply whether or not the question is if they baptize infants uh, of believers. And so churches like the United Methodist Church, the Presbyterian Church, even the Roman Catholic Church would be examples of churches that practice paedo-baptism. They, they baptize infants. And right away, it has to be acknowledged that that has been the majority report within the history of the church, that baptizing the infants of believers has been a a common practice among Christians, and it does have a strong historical line. And so that is, that's, even though I'm not a paedo-baptist, that is something that has to be at least acknowledged that um, that that has been practiced by Christians for a long time and cross-denominationally. It isn't as if just one denomination practices this, but there are many denominations that practice paedo-baptism. Now, credo-baptism is something that is distinguishable by believers only. That's what the word credo means, is those who make... Uh, profess a creed or confession, make a confession of faith. And so that would be people who have made a confession of faith, only they would be the proper subjects of baptism. And so with that being said, uh, the most common 
uh, Credo Baptist uh, would would simply be the the Baptist churches. In fact, that's where the name Baptist is associated with. Uh, And we could go back into history a little bit and talk about the Baptist Church, and then you could talk about other Baptistic groups like the, who preceded the Baptists, such as the Anabaptist movement. Anabaptist, of course, meaning to rebaptize, because at that particular time in history, it was practiced that children would be baptized, and so many of the people who were joining the Anabaptist movement had already been baptized as children, but now believed that that baptize, that that baptism wasn't valid, so therefore they were going to be baptized, what they would consider to be a first true baptism, but what their opponents would brand as anabaptism or rebaptism. And so the Baptist movement or the Credo Baptist movement, the idea that believers only should be baptized, is um, it, it does not have the longest uh, history, even though someone like myself who believes in, in credo baptism, I would say that w- this is what I believe we see in Scripture, and I do believe that the the baptism of infants uh, came in after the time of the apostles. I don't believe we see infant baptism in Scripture or during the time of the apostles. But again, this is this is where the argument begins and where the argument starts to have the the issue is okay so we have two different candidates for baptism one would be believers only those who have confessed faith in Jesus Christ the other would say believers and their children are candidates for baptism specifically their infant children um, are candidates for baptism and so you have two positions that diverge, and they have uh, for a long time been distinguished. Yet at the same time, I want to just say clearly, uh, I have many people who I love and I support that are paedo-baptists. I do not believe that this is an area where we should divide um, and call call people heretics or unbelievers or uh, or something like that. Um, for instance, as you know, in this class, if you're taking this class, we're we're using the book "Everyone's a Theologian" by Dr. R.C. Sproul, and Dr. R.C. Sproul was a Presbyterian and he was a Paedo-Baptist, so he believed in the baptism of infants. Uh, I disagree with him, but I loved him as a teacher. I loved him as a preacher. I loved him as a man of God, and I believe that he, of course, is in the presence of the Lord even now. So uh, as far as this goes as in regarding someone's fidelity to Christ, I think this is an area where we can disagree. I don't think both sides are right. Let me be very clear. I do think that paedo-baptism is wrong because ultimately, if I believed it was right, I would practice it. But I do think this is an area where believers can disagree. One side will ultimately be incorrect. Uh, In the final analysis, when we are in glory, we will face the Lord of glory, and uh, we will likely know whether we were right or wrong on this issue. And uh, I don't, again, think that it's going to imperil our the, the destiny of our souls, but I do think it's uh, 
it's an important question and important enough for us to talk about. For, for those of you who do not know, I did a debate on this subject several years ago. I think it's been about 10 years now. And that is available on our website. If you go to this, our sermon audio page and you look up baptism debate, you can find that debate. Uh, and that's many, many years ago, if, you, if that's something that would interest you. But the point is, the, 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 the reason for the debate was whether or not infants should be baptized. And the, the person I was uh, debating believed that infants should be baptized. And of course, I took the position of credo-baptism that infants should not be baptized. But that leads to the next issue, because among both sides, there is not unanimity or there's not agreement on either side as to what the purpose of baptism is either. There is debate among paedo-baptists about the purpose of baptism. There's debate among credo-baptists about the purpose of baptism. And so I want to, uh, just for a moment, sort of talk about some of those distinctions. Again, if you're in the class, this will allow for a more robust conversation. And if you're not in the class, you're welcome to join us uh, tomorrow night, or, or tonight rather. Uh, th- this, this will go live on March the 4th, and um, that evening, March the 4th, uh, 2021, in the evening at 6.30, we have our class, which is available at uh, on our YouTube page. It's available on our Facebook page and on our sermon audio page as a live stream. And you can follow along in class if you're interested. We're going to be talking about ecclesiology or the doctrine of the church. And so let's talk for a moment. Among the Pado-Baptists, there are those who have differing opinions as to why infants should be baptized. The first position, and this would be the position held by Rome, is that children enter into this world in a state of original sin, and they are, because of their entering into this world in a state of original sin, were they to die in that state, they would be unholy and uh, unworthy of eternal life in heaven. And so you have to baptize those children because baptism produces regeneration. So Rome believes in baptismal regeneration. And they would say that we baptize infants to remove the taint of the original sin, which has been passed down by Adam. Now, I believe in original sin. I do believe we inherit a sinful nature from Adam. So I don't disagree with Rome on that. Uh, But the idea that baptism by itself produces the removal of sin or produces the gift of regeneration uh, is something that I disagree with, but that is the position that they hold. Baptism washes away sin and baptism gives the gift of regeneration or the new birth. Now, on the side of the credo-baptist, there are people who believe that as well. There are people who believe that when you are baptized, that is when your sins are forgiven and that is when your regeneration actually occurs. And that, that position is held by several different groups, but the most, uh, the most common group that I can think of it would be the Churches of Christ, the historic restoration movement, which was the Stonite-Campbellite movement, uh, and that movement was uh, influenced specifically by the men who started it 
based upon the idea that baptism is what remits sin, that you have to believe, you have to be baptized, and when you are baptized, that is where your sins are ultimately washed away. That's where your sins are forgiven. And they would hold, and that's, in fact, that's what they called the Restoration Movement, was restoring the ancient gospel. And that was what they believed the ancient gospel was, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. They, they often quote Acts 2.38 as as their as their proof text acts 2 acts 238 does say repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and you'll receive the gift of the holy spirit and so they argue that that particular text proves that you have to be baptized to for, receive the forgiveness of sins and it's in the baptism that you receive the forgiveness of sins. Now, uh, for time's sake, I, 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 I'm just going to say I disagree with their interpretation of that passage. I do think that that passage has been uh, misunderstood by the, the historic churches of Christ and the, the Campbellite Stoneite movement, the, the, and, and, and essentially pushed further than what I think Peter intended when that statement was made in Acts 2.38. But but that that just simply goes to show that the the belief in baptismal remission or the ba- the belief in baptismal regeneration is actually held among some Pado Baptists and some who we would identify as Credo Baptists, baptism of believers only, and so uh, or baptism upon confession of faith. So we have within both camps those who believe that baptism is actually doing the work of regeneration. Now there is a position among Lutherans. That and again, going back to the Pado Baptist side, Lutherans are Pado Baptists. There are some Lutherans, in fact, Lutheranism would affirm baptismal regeneration. Luther himself affirmed that when you when you baptize the child, the act of regeneration occurs. But we we still have to affirm that that Lutherans they believe in justification by faith alone. And there, there is some some gymnastics that they have to do to get there, but ultimately they would still hold to a version of baptismal regeneration. But that is not the position of the Presbyterians, and and this is key because what distinguishes the Presbyterians from the Lutherans and from the Roman Catholics is essential to understand when you are understanding why Presbyterians baptize their infants. Because the Presbyterians, while they do believe in original sin, they do not believe that baptism is removing original sin, neither do they believe baptism is creating regeneration. Rather, Presbyterians would believe that baptism is the sign of the new covenant, which is given to all new covenant members, and they would argue that based on the the principle of the Old Testament, the principle of familial solidarity, that within a family, when the parents entered into a covenant with God, that the children also entered into that covenant with God. And so that position is is what is held by Rome, or excuse me, by the, um, by the Presbyterians to say that the child deserves the covenant sign. The child, in fact, should receive the covenant sign because if they don't, uh, they are they're missing out on the blessing of 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 covenant uh, of being a part of the covenant and 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 which is signified by receiving the sign. And let, let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, children, specifically males, were given the sign of circumcision as a sign of being brought into the covenant 
family. And so Presbyterians would say in the same way that in the Old Covenant, male children are given the covenant sign of, of circumcision as, as a sign of their entrance into the covenant family and, and ultimately into the covenant with God, that is equivalent to baptism in the New Testament, where baptism is the covenant sign whereby a child enters into that relationship with, ultimately into that relationship with the covenant family and, and into that relationship with God. So, I, and, I'm, and I'm simplifying this to the nth degree. Please forgive me, especially if you're a Presbyterian listening to this, please don't take offense. I really am trying to properly articulate the position simply to show that there are different positions, and, and, and the Presbyterian position is much different than the, the Roman Catholic position and even different than the Lutheran position. The Presbyterian position is baptism is a covenant sign that is received by the children of believers, and they make sev- they use several passages to try to argue for this. One specifically is in 1 Corinthians, where it says that if, if at least one believing parent is present in the home, then the children are sanctified. The children, and that word sanctified, made holy. They, so by that, they would say, if there is one believing child in the home, then that child or excuse me, one believing parent in the home, then that child of that parent is a candidate for baptism and ultimately deserves to receive the sign of baptism. But they would say that sign is not what is, that sign does not produce regeneration in the soul, and that that sign ultimately is not what is going to bring salvation to that child. It is simply a a sign of the promise of the covenant, which is given through and to the family. Uh, And so they talk about, and you'll hear in Presbyterian churches talk about covenant family. They talk about covenant children. And ultimately, this is uh, a part of how they understand that. Now, one of the, what they would say also is one of the blessings of the new covenant is that uh, in the old covenant, only boys received the sign of the covenant because only boys were sanctified, or excuse me, only boys were circumcised. But in the new covenant, boys and girls are both baptized because they are they are all part of this covenant family and covenant relationship. And so that's part of the expansion and the blessing and the newness of the new covenant. So on to the opposite side of that. Okay, so we have the baptism as a covenant sign, which is meant to be given to children of believers. That's the position of the of the Presbyterians. And again, if you read our textbook, that is the position that Dr. Sproul takes, because again, being a Presbyterian, he would, of course, affirm that. But on the other side is the position of the historic Baptists, and among the Baptists, uh, there the the position has been that the the outward sign of baptism is intended only for believers, because unlike the old covenant, which was genealogical, and ch- children of their parents were entered into the covenant simply by birth that the new covenant is not entered into by birth, but rather the new covenant is entered into by new birth, by being born 
again. And so no one is no one is made a part of the new covenant simply because their parents are believers, but rather we are we enter into the new covenant by faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and it is a, a personal faith. It is not a faith that we inherit. It is not a faith which is based upon the belief or practice of our parents, but rather it is a faith that we practice and have ourselves. And so, again, that is called credo baptism because it is a baptism of believers only. And uh, the whether or not it's a sign of the covenant sometimes is debated among Baptists, um, but ultimately Baptists would agree that it is certainly symbolic of regeneration and how we understand a covenantal sign and things like that are sometimes debated among Baptists and, and, and what that means and what, and, and, and what the what the one-for-one one is because, again, in Presbyterianism, there's a one-for-one one connection. Uh, circumcision connects to baptism in, in sort of a linear sense where you have the circumcision in the Old Testament and that's the covenant sign and baptism in the New Testament, which is the covenant sign. Uh, but within the um, within Baptist circles, there's some debate about that. One of the things you often will hear Baptists say is that baptism is an outward show of an inward change. Uh, I've never been a big fan of that language, only because I think it's somewhat uh, somewhat simplistic. But in a sense, it is kind of making the point that of what Baptists would believe that baptism is. Because Baptists would not say that baptism saves, neither would they say that baptism is the cause of regeneration or the remission of sin. This is where we would disagree wholeheartedly with the historic churches of Christ and with the Campbellite, Stonite movement, because they would say baptism is where the where the sin is forgiven and again we we do not go there as baptists we say no we don't agree with that that that's not the position that we would hold to in fact we would say that's a dangerous heresy in a sense because when you believe that baptism causes salvation then you make baptism a work a work in fact that is uh, necessary for salvation and then salvation becomes a, a something that happens because of works. And that, again, I think that's very serious. I think that's a, that's a dangerous road to go down. But again, looking back at the, the point, Baptists would say that baptism is to be administered to believers only because the new covenant is not made up of believers and unbelievers, like the old covenant was made up of believers and unbelievers because it was believers and their children who were not yet believers. And we would say, no, the, the new covenant is not made up of believers and unbelievers. It's not supposed to be a mixed multitude, even though someone would say, well, there's people in the church who don't believe. And we would say, yes, but they are not truly members of the new covenant. They have not truly believed. Even if they've received the the sign of baptism, they're not truly members of the new covenant. And so we would never intentionally give the sign of baptism to someone who was not a member of the new covenant. And so that becomes a debate again among Baptists and Presbyterians as to, well, who is it then who is a proper candidate? Uh, because they would say, my children are members of the new covenant because they are members through me. And again, that's the historic debate between Presbyterians 
and uh, Baptists. But I want to I want to sort of draw to a close by by trying to read or by actually reading to you from the confession that is uh, one of the earliest Baptist confessions that we have. One of the earliest Baptist confessions is the 1644 London Baptist Confession of Faith, which I'm actually looking at the second edition, which was edited in 1646. So I'm going to give you this reading of what Baptists think of baptism from the one of the earliest confessions from the Baptist Church, and then I'm going to draw everything to a close. This is from Article 39 of the, the 1646 London Baptist Confession. It says, Baptism is an ordinance of the New Testament given by Christ to be dispensed upon persons professing faith or that are made disciples who upon profession of faith ought to be baptized and after to partake of the Lord's Supper. That the way and manner of dispensing this ordinance is dipping or plunging the body underwater, it being a sign, must answer the thing signified, which is that interest the saints have in the death burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that is certainly, as the body is buried under the water and risen again, so certainly shall the bodies of the saints be raised by the power of Christ in the day of the resurrection to reign with Christ. And that again, the reason why I read that is because it makes a good point about what Baptists believe. Baptists believe more than anything what baptism is, is it is a symbol or a signification of the union that believers have with the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is why we actually focus somewhat on the mode of baptism. Many other denominations baptize by either pouring water on or sprinkling, but we take the person and put them completely under the water because we believe that by going under the water, this is a picture of having been buried with Christ, died with him, buried with him, and raised to the newness of of life. Well, I hope that this has been a helpful explanation of some of the different views of baptism, and I hope this encourages a robust conversation in class. Uh, I want to say this again, if you hold to a different view of baptism and you'd like to send in a question or a comment, I would appreciate it. You can send that to calvinistpodcast at gmail.com. And I hope that I've been respectful to the various positions. As I said, I don't believe this is something that is necessary to, uh, or, or something that would, if we disagreed upon, would be necessarily a, a point that would create heresy, uh, except for maybe if someone believed it was a work for salvation. I do think that that gets, possibly crosses the line. But I'll say this again. Thank you for being with me today. I hope this has been helpful. If you have questions, calvinistpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening today to Coffee with a Calvinist. My name is Keith Foskey, and I've been your Calvinist. May God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Coffee with a Calvinist. If you enjoyed the program, please take a moment to subscribe and provide us feedback. We love to receive your comments and questions and may even engage with them in a future episode. As you go about your day, remember this. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. All who come to Him in repentance and faith will find Him to be a perfect Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. May God be with you.